Google releases its long-awaited Gemini large language model, but it used some deceptive marketing in the introduction. Where's the real value once these models are commoditized? Spotify lays off 1,500, and George Santos may just save Cameo. All that and more coming up right after this. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Welcome to Big Technology Podcast Friday edition where we break down the news in our traditional cool-headed and nuanced format. We have a big week of news this week, touching on Gemini and plenty of other interesting stories. We're joined again by Ranjan Roy of Margins. Ranjan, welcome back. Maybe George Santos and Cameo is more interesting than Gemini, but I think well, there's a lot to talk about Gemini as well. That's right. Okay, so let's start with Gemini. The first thing we should just do is talk about what this model is. I think that you have some thoughts on it. You had contributed to the panel on BigTechnology.com this week. Some really interesting thoughts. Uh, but basically, it's Google's answer to GPT-4. It's a large language model. It's multimodal, which means that it can understand uh, text and images. And we thought video and voice, but okay, we have some questions about that, which we'll get to in our next segment. And it also uh, seems to outperform GPT's, uh, uh, OpenAI's ChatGPT model uh, in a number of different cases. Um, what's your general read on the introduction of Gemini? I guess like my question about it is, you know, has Google caught caught up to GPT-4? But I've gotten some pushback on that this week. What do you think? All right. So we will definitely get into this introduction video, but I think this is a big moment for Google. This is what I've written about for the panel newsletter. <laughs> I believe strongly mm-hmm. that Gemini is their first really core offering that's clear to customers that this is the main model and this is what you can use to do the business type operations or build on in the same way you can easily have built on GPT-3, 3.5, and 4. And I think Google, this actually, they have an advantage where for businesses already operating on Google Cloud to be able to build on a kind of foundation model like this, build easily, connect to their existing data infrastructure, it presents a big advantage. I think that already OpenAI has that relationship with Microsoft and every Azure client. So now any Google Cloud client is is can build on this. I do think one thing as they release this that I was thinking about is we all can remember the name Gemini. Do you know the names of their previous iterations of these large language models? Yeah, I think you wrote that in your in your blurb. It's like what, like fourplex or some stupid name like well, that. No, so 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 in classic Google fashion, they have Vertex AI is like the overall ecosystem, but then Palm 2 was mm-hmm. the actual large language model equivalent. Then under that they had these things like text gecko, text by they had all of these different names that were very confusing and then Vertex AI would live differently, whether it's in Google Cloud or Google Workspace, like everything was incredibly confusing. I hope they have it together where now Gemini is the model, Gemini Ultra, Gemini Pro, Gemini Nano, and they don't G-chat this whole thing and turn it into Hangouts, Chat, Meet, whatever else, and just make a clear offering for customers who want to use it to be able to use it. Why don't they just call it Bard? Like, why don't they call everything Bard? Because Bard is a terrible name, and I think they... They should name Bard Gemini then. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I if I was Google right now, and if they... I actually thought that exact same thing. Gemini is kind of a cool name. name. 
It's yeah. a great name. I would be happy to Gemini something or <laughs> ask Gemini, but I, I don't want to bard anything. So, exactly. Yeah. Okay. The, if, if they're listening, they change are. bard to Gemini. It's not too late. It'll make a huge difference. Everyone will be happy. Let me ask you this, though. So you say the main advantage here is that they have like a GPT-4-like model that they can use for Google Cloud customers. But Google Cloud is number three. And if you look at what OpenAI is doing with Azure, which is number two, and what Anthropic might be doing with Amazon, with their bring-the-own-model type of approach, number one, like you are actually maybe at a severe disadvantage if you're Google because you, you now have a preference in terms of cloud platform with Gemini. And you're effectively like, I don't know, seeding or you're allowing other models to run away with it on bigger cloud platforms. No, but but I believe we're entering a new era for cloud services. And this is why it could be a key for Google Cloud. Mm-hmm. In One of these companies is going to build the best overall cohesive offering. One of these companies, and it doesn't exist yet because like OpenAI still is relatively separate from Azure. It's somewhat integrated and Anthropic is even more disconnected from Amazon. One of these companies is going to build the best overall offering where customers feel secure, can build on it easily, can integrate it into other parts of their business where these cloud offerings live. Like one of these companies is going to figure it out. So I actually think even though Google's number three, if the fact that it's in-house, it gives them an advantage here. The fact that they're building it, it's their model, it's not a partnership. I think the way a lot of this stuff's going to go is is it's less about power and it's more about ease. Now, Ranjan, I'm sure you've read the coverage of this and it's been kind of interesting, you know, going back to our Bard or Gemini uh, points because half of the press is like, this is its answer to chat GPT. And then half of the press is like, now it has a large language model it can offer similar to GPT-4. And of course, like this is obviously more aimed at the enterprise to build on top of than it is necessarily with the chatbot. And it kind of puts an interesting question about Google into the field here, which is that like they have to do something on the enterprise side, but also are they accelerating the death of their consumer business in search? What do you think? Yeah, that's that's the right question. And I think they're going to have to do something. And Bard slash Gemini chatbot is going to be part of that experience, search generative experience, SGE, which we've talked about plenty of times, where now you start to see generative results in your regular Google searches. It's it's going to change the entire way we search. So I think on the consumer side, they do have to do something. And I think this is it. And they said, they said that Gemini is going to power both Bard and the SGE search generative experience. So it's clear that they're working on it and they're approaching it that way. But, but yeah, I think overall that they are, they, they have opportunity in both the consumer and the enterprise. And if they roll this out properly, it, it, it puts them on not necessarily an even footing just yet, but at least puts them back in the game in a way they have not been for a while. So there's one more thing I want to talk to you about, which is the timing of this. It was very interesting because the information earlier in the week had a report that Google had scheduled a launch event for Gemini and then decided to push it to next year. And then all of a sudden there was another report that said, hey, actually Gemini might be out soon. And it almost seemed like Google was trying to capitalize on the chaos at OpenAI and then decided, okay, let's wait until this is you know ready because there are parts of it, including Ultra, which is their most powerful model that aren't going to be ready until next year. And then for whatever reason said, F it, 
let's just put our foot on the gas and release it. I mean, what do you make of like the back and forth here? Yeah, the rollout, and we can definitely get into that video, and we will, but it it's suspicious. I agree that it, it, already in this entire cycle over the last year, Google has repeatedly made big demos and flashy demos and then not had a product to back it up, whereas mm-hmm. OpenAI, every time they announce something, it's there. It's ready. Like, uh, and, and, and that's part of been what's made them feel more powerful, that they talk about something and then people can actually use it. So it does feel a bit rushed in the sense that they debuted all this stuff. The most powerful model still isn't available other than to maybe a very limited set of developers. So yeah, getting ahead of that year end, I hadn't thought about the capitalizing on the open AI chaos, but... That actually could be, uh, now that I'm thinking about it, that could be the right answer here because it's true that, again, on the enterprise sales side, people at big clients have to be feeling a little uncertain ahead of year-end renewal talks and contract talks, which for the most part are probably done, but there still could be ones ongoing or as those talks would start at the beginning of next year for Q1 to look at the year ahead, positioning themselves a little bit stronger. Because again, we have no one talked about text bison, but we're all talking about Gemini. So right. something's working. Yeah, there was something weird about it because I almost missed the introduction of this. So what they usually do is they have this, these big release events where they gather people in, in you know, together or they at least give you like a good amount of notice if they're going to do something online. And for this, I think I got noticed the day before that they wanted to do some sort of embargoed briefing. And I was like, oh, like I missed, actually missed the first briefing because I was like, I don't know what this could be. And then I was like, maybe that was Gemini. And I wrote back and they were doing one at 830 at night in, in New York time. <laughs> and I was like, all right, like I'll watch this. And I was like, oh, this is Gemini. And it was like, huh, that that is interesting. Like it does... It does seem like they rusted out the door. And then let me tell you a little bit about what I saw and what the world saw in terms of the way that they were introducing this. So they had this video that's now, you know, been infamously called the duck video where they effectively like did all these different really interesting interactions, basically in live video uh, asking, you know, this mysterious Gemini, like what they're drawing and which car was more aerodynamic and how a roller coaster would work and all these and, and to to take two different balls of yarn and give ideas of it. And it was in all in one shot of a video. It was jaw-dropping stuff. I mean, definitely like I was like, holy crap, this is advancing the, you know, the state of the art. And then uh, the next day it comes out that this marketing video was was quite deceptive. So uh, first of all, it showed a user speaking with Gemini, but the whole presentation, I mean, the whole interaction was entirely a text conversation that they sort of dramatized as as someone speaking to it then it showed a moving video but it was actually just feeding gemini still images it showed fast responses but those were actually sped up it showed tight model outputs basically the answers from gemini were quite tight and precise but it had shortened those for brevity and it also showed uh, very brief prompts uh, that were eliciting terrific answers but then it listed longer prompts in a blog post depicting what was actually happening in this video now, look, later it clarified that the shorter prompts would, you know, would actually work. Um, but I also asked them, like, then why did you list the longer prompts in the video and I and in the blog post? And I still haven't gotten an answer on that front. Um, so overall, like this video backfired on them. It was viewed as uh, extremely deceptive. 
it made the rounds on Y Combinator, like basically was like a front page of Hacker News the entire day. And I, I wrote about this on big technology and included like just one of the more benign quotes from one of the developers on Hacker News who said, uh, he said, I was fooled. It's one thing to release a hype video with what ifs and quite another to claim that your new multimodal model is the king of the hill and then game all the benchmarks and fake all the demos. Now, it wasn't entirely fake, but it certainly like rubbed a lot of developers the wrong way. And it's actually become the story. This the fact that like the marketing was deceptive as opposed to the actual model that they released. So I'm curious what you make of this. I mean, to me, it seems like this is Google kind of operating from a place of weakness where they feel like they have to produce something revolutionary, even though they only had something evolutionary. They portrayed it as if they had that revolutionary advance and just totally got busted on it. And and I'm curious what you what your perspective it, is. In- it infuriated me. This launch video infuriated me because, again, and you had written this as well, Google really didn't have to exaggerate. Like, they didn't. I, I'm so mm-hmm. confused. Again, as Alex was describing, like, there's one part of the video looked really cool. There's You lay out a world map, and then you say, make a game for me, Gemini. And then it's like, point your finger to a country that has won the world, most World Cups. And like, you, you know, there's really cool ideas about imagine all the things you can do. But none of that matters right now. The multimodality, it's not something that those use cases have even been invented at, at, at scale yet. Like, there's so many just straightforward business problems that customers want to pay for and know they have a reliable service for. There's just text alone, text to image, all these things could sell and be great. If it literally was just, it's pretty much as good as GPT-4. Like that's all they would have to say, but it's from mm-hmm. us. It's easier to access, it's free, all these kind of things. So I, I was so confused as to why they felt the need to try to do something that flashy the one the one thing i will give them that maybe is hopeful for them is i did see friends who are not that into technology sharing that video and -hmm. being like this looks pretty cool so whether that conversation about what was deceptive or not makes it over to the normie world i think will be interesting or whether the gemini brand still look is thought of as cool to uh to the average consumer, but but I, I, w- I was completely confused as to why they would try to do something like this when they absolutely do not need to. No, I love when you tr- look at marketing and you try to make your best guess as to what the heck is going on inside the company behind some of this stuff. So why don't we put the <laughs> conspiracy hat or the speculation hat on? And Ranjan, from your perspective, what the heck has to be happening there? I, I My guess... <laughs> is that want for viral virality and kind of like consumers all talking about your product was at the core of it. And I don't think it's necessarily the wrong thing to want because as we've talked about a lot, because of the chat GPT consumer familiarity and like that because it's almost the verb to look up something via generative text, uh, they want something like that. They feel they need to. That stuff is going to translate both on the consumer and the enterprise side. So mm-hmm. so it, it's not unreasonable to me, but you can totally see how they're like, we need something viral, really cool. And, and then they figured, let's stretch things a little. The prompts are a little too long, so let's shorten it. Let's dramatize it a bit. And here we are. 
Yeah, it just what do doesn't. You think? It doesn't seem like people are, are buying their their explanation. I mean, they had uh, one of their vice presidents, Oriol Vinyals, uh, go out and talk about this, and uh, this person said all all the user prompts and outputs in the video are real, <laughs> shortened for brevity, and like everybody was like, "What? Wait, what? <laughs> you can't be both." It is interesting that they had because he was he's like the deep mind vice president or something like yes. that. Yeah, like it's funny that I wonder if it was more engineering driven than marketing driven or more marketing mm. driven than engineering driven that they had him speaking. But yeah, actually, that 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 would be. Do you think this was? Do you think that demo was pushed by the engineering side of the organization or the marketing side? Because my my initial gut feeling would have been the marketing side, but the more I think about it, maybe. The engineers want want a bit of credibility and uh, some people talking about how powerful their models are. So I think it was uh, I think it was both. And my perspective on this is that Google's pressing a little bit. And sorry, I'm going to have to use a sports analogy here, but um, you know <laughs> the, Jets, the Jets, who yeah. I watch a lot, unfortunately. <laughs> I just, we don't talk about this often. Jets fan, Patriots fan, but we're, we managed to get along. We're, but we're we're playing the same game right exactly. now. Exactly. So. <laughs> The Jets can't score points on offense, and they have this great running back, Brees Hall, who's trying to score a touchdown every time he gets the ball, and he ends up getting tackled in the backfield because he thinks he has to do so much in order to, you know, make the thing run. And that's kind of what I think Google is doing here, which is that they feel they're behind. They feel they have to go for those home run hits as opposed to get, you know, five or six yards and put themselves in good position to score. And that's kind of what happened here. Just an obvious case of pressing from someone who's behind, from a company that's behind. Actually, but if you think about it, I always go back to, do you remember the Google duplex demo when Sundar yep. called a restaurant and they made a reservation all over the phone? So this isn't their first kind of playing from behind, rushing things out a bit, uh, uh, trying forcing things a little too hard. So maybe, maybe it's more ingrained, But but I agree though. They are playing from behind right now, so you. Can, I agree. You can feel it a little bit. I don't want to say desperation, but right. At least a additional energy, let's call it. And I had someone basically put it to me as this: like everybody thinks that they're behind, and so to exaggerate in their marketing makes is the reason why it's bad. If they were OpenAI and they did something that was a little bit embellishing, people would be like, "All right, but their products are cool." But in this way, this is really just egg on the face. Like the the actual the cream filling has to measure up you know we don't have the cream filling yet no but they don't even need it right now i wish exactly get that find that confidence google find that confidence so right now with the release of gemini what we're seeing is that a lot of these models are starting to look the same you have gpt4 you have gemini you have anthropic and it's moving towards what we've been talking about for a while here which is that these Models are going to start to commoditize and look the same. And they will start to differentiate based off of things that you said, ease of use. And then also probably the data sets that are uh, ingrained within them. So this is a tweet that you and I have been kind of uh, pushing back and forth and, and chatting about. But uh, Chamath Palihapitiya, um talked about how uh, basically he, he says there, this is a race to own data that is valuable in fine-tuning and reinforcement learning with human feedback. You should expect foundational models to be largely commoditized and largely free, largely soon. And the non-obvious data sets are going to be in huge value in the end state. So 
Uh, he lists a number of them. One is Tesla's real-world environmental data. Two is Meta's real people preference and behavioral data. Three is Google's search intent, uh, YouTube behavior, and Gmail. Four is Amazon's purchasing behavior. I'd add a fifth, and that's you know real-time information and news. Basically, that if all these models start looking the same, those that can actually take uh, and exploit proprietary information are going to be the ones that have a leg up. Um, I'm curious if you think that's really the next step here. Is that is that the, where we're heading? Yeah, and, and we were definitely talking about this because it's rarely that I agree with Chamath, but I think he's <laughs> he's totally right here. That uh, I and we, we've been talking about this for a while ourselves. That foundational models are going to be largely commoditized and free. That's again, even not necessarily always free, but integrated into existing ecosystems. But the actual power of the foundation model is not as what what's as relevant. But but I do think the difference here is foundation models to be used by a large group of potential clients or use cases or foundation models used by the companies themselves to release new products. And that's where Tesla could have a self-driving advantage because mm-hmm. of their data set. Meta certainly and probably already is using their data advantage to build out their advertising ecosystem. I mean, their advertising is back and then some. So um, Amazon obviously reinforcing their own business. Like even for me, like I still, I'm still convinced Reddit has one of the most valuable content data sets in the world. And they actually had cut off access to the API because they're clearly going to be doing something interesting. So I think each company looking at their own data set and thinking about how do we use this in a generative way is is going to be a very very big thing but but again that it doesn't translate to like sales of the model it translates to new products and experiences of your own business absolutely all right let's take a quick break we have two more stories we want to cover the layoffs at spotify broader uh layoffs in the media and then the george santos uh cameo story which is might be my favorite story of the year we'll be back right after this the LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From the minds of visionaries to the desks of disruptors. I'm Lars Schmidt, host of the Redefining Work podcast. Join me each week as we explore the new world of work through the lens of those shaping it. CEOs, HR leaders, investors, and more. Be a part of the conversation that changes everything. Subscribe to Redefining Work today. And we're back here on Big Technology Podcast with Ranjan Roy of Margins. Um, Ranjan, it's been a really rough couple of weeks uh, in the media business. Spotify in particular is about to lay off uh, or is in the process of laying off 1,500 people. But we also have layoffs at Wired and Vox and uh, the Washington Post seems to be laying off. I mean, and it's wild how many uh, companies are cutting now. And the thing that really caught me by surprise about with Spotify was the fact that the business is doing great. It's profitable. It is uh, on pace to add more than 100 million users this year, which is going to be its best year yet. 
and uh, but but it's apparently still spending too much. And uh, the CEO Daniel Ek is talking about an economic slowdown and the rising cost of capital. Um, are these just like fine, like the the push down the road impacts of what happened when rates were raised? I mean, why is why does it seem like the economy is going well? Like we were talking about a potential of a soft landing, and yet all these companies are still cutting. It's it's still the COVID hangover, and it's it's a combination of rates are no, no longer a zero interest world. And I do love that even the Spotify CEO now cites the rising costs of capital, i.e. <laughs> no more ZERP in his own layoff announcements. I never thought that day would come. Um, but then it, that combined with Spotify doubled its headcount during the pandemic. Oh. And now it's still well, well above where it was pre-pandemic. So this goes back to, and you've written about this plenty, the extrapolation of COVID trends and that not being realized. And mm-hmm. and we're seeing it. And honestly, there's probably room to go in a lot of these companies that just, uh, when you double your headcount in the space of a year or two, and then realize that you're not going to grow in the way you thought you were, there's probably a lot of people that are not going to be there for much longer. And do you think that this is going to be constrained to our corner of the world, like the media and tech world, or is this going to be broader in the economy? I still, I think we're seeing more now. And again, there's plenty of indication and talk around a soft landing in the economy overall that that this is going to be still constrained to companies that grew too much during the pandemic mm-hmm. and, and overinflated their own expectations around where they would go and what they would do. Because again, streaming, they had a profitable quarter. They're not necessarily doing amazing. They they finally saw uh, saw a bit of profit. But again, the, you can imagine a business like Spotify, you always do wonder like how much operational overhead really is there to run a software product like that, obviously licensing and marketing and all these other things. But, but overall, you know, how do you double your headcount? What are you What are you going to do with that? So, so I think in technology overall, if like, if there, there's definitely the more aggressive CEOs become, and also the more positively capital markets respond, mm-hmm. and other CEOs see that, I think we'll probably see more of this among companies like this. But I guess like my question is, wasn't this supposed to be over? Like we are, we have a, a story in the in our you know doc that we use to like talk about what stories we find interesting this week about how the economy just added 199,000 jobs in November. The employment unemployment rate fell. Um, looks like we're going to leave this year without a recession. It's, it seems like I mean you you said more to come, but like it also seems like shouldn't we just be done with this already? Um, I mean, but I think, again, that's why it's even more because the jobs being added, I think I saw services jobs continue to be like at the core of a lot of our job growth versus Spotify and software Mm -hmm. engineer or product marketer or consumer marketer at Spotify. So I think these businesses realize like they if you if you're Spotify right now, you're back to looking at, let's say, a three to five year plan Mm -hmm. and you're thinking about that strategically and you're and you're trying to figure out who do I need to get where I want to go and what's the world going to look like, and you realize that the company you built over the last two years isn't that company. I think there's going to be 
a lot of companies like that. And it's pretty independent from the overall macro environment, environment, I think. I think that's both comforting and also extremely scary because so many companies built up during the pandemic. Well, one company that's in the middle of a run-up is George Santos, Inc. If you're not in the U.S. <laughs> and you're listening, we had this guy, he's a congressman from my home island of Long Island, who lied his way into Congress, made up a ton of stuff about himself, used his campaign funding uh, to do things like buy handbags and Botox and all this stuff. And he was finally expelled from Congress. He's like the sixth guy, uh, sixth Congress member of Congress to be expelled in its history. And like the other reasons are like treason and other terrible things. And he <laughs> got the boot for buying Botox. Subscription with the- <laughs> But he's making this amazing second career now as a cameo performer. And I think uh, that what he said and has been confirmed by some reports is he's made more money in one day of cameo than he made like in the year (laughs) as a member of Congress, which is just (laughs) unbelievable. How many thousands of cameos has he he done? But um, my thesis here is that George Santos is going to save cameo and... Make sure that this crucial part of tech and public culture uh, infrastructure remains intact. Now, I know we've had cameos hit some hard times, but I'd imagine this is something that you and I are going to agree on. Going to agree on, right, Ron John? I think George Santos will save cameo. I will say. Hold on, I, let, let me let me just play a clip here. Hey, Heath, George Santos here. I'm so proud of you for coming out as a furry, and I just wanted to tell you that you're friends and family all accept you and they're all excited about your fursona which is uh, awesome to be a beaver puss a beaver and a platter puss so let me tell you uh they all love you beaver puss don't you ever get your head down and don't you ever ever let anybody tell you what you can and can't be. I'm so proud that the corporate folks at Arby's gave you the go ahead to go to work in your persona. So if you could just, you know, live it up and be as perfect as you want, just keep doing you and yiff, yiff, yiff. Bye. Okay, Ranjan, yes, go ahead. (laughs) Okay, so listening to that, there's many feelings around the state of our country and democracy and future and the movie Idiocracy because this is the state of our politics. What what was even more traumatizing is it was like Senator John, a sitting U.S. senator, bought one of the cameos and tweeted it and then played it against his, you know, George Menendez. Like the fact that our senior political establishment is playing along with this game just for the impressions and the tweets and like it is is a bit terrifying but it's good content george santos makes great content i I cannot ever disagree with that i absolutely love these cameos there's they're terrific and you know this is clearly american political the political life hit, hit rock bottom but maybe this is what gets us out of it. And for Cameo, it couldn't have been uh, better timed. Uh, we were just talking, I think, in July about how this uh, company, which, by the way, allows you to buy video messages from celebrities, largely B and C list celebrities, was valued at more than a billion in 2021. This is from TechCrunch, uh, but it just laid off 80 workers and, 11, and it's currently operating with fewer than 50 employees, a shift from the uh, nearly 400 uh, it had when business was booming. I mean, I think we have, you know, going back to our theme, maybe there's two, you know, three eras of 
uh, of the modern company. It's Zerp, Post Zerp, and George Santos. And Cameo <laughs> is clearly the George Santos. Era. George Santos is creating jobs. George yes. Santos is an American hero. He is going to create jobs and be the backbone of the entire technology industry to take us into this third this third act. I was about I to say that right. who says Congress can't be a job creator, but it is a little <laughs> bit ironic that once Santos leaves is when he starts having his greatest impact. Wait, have you ever ordered a cameo? Yeah, I think I did. I did once. What, who did you do? I ordered a, a, a cameo from like, uh, you know, one of like the back of the roster New York Giants players. Uh, to say something to my dad or something like that. Have you? I, I, I have the most. Rant. Do you know the band Guar? No. It's like a metal art band. They all like dress in these crazy costumes. My brother-in-law is a big metalhead, and I'd gotten him a Guar guitarist birthday message when shortly after Cameo launched, and I'd read about it, and he enjoyed it. And it was, it's a good. It's a cool it, product. It's we needed cool George product. Santos to come in and save it. That's what I'm saying. Actually, this is an actually, important if you, service. If you think about it, though. To get into what Cameo represents about the modern economy, it really is. It makes sense. It's a great product, great idea. C-list celebrities, get some extra cash. And it totally was. The pandemic made us think that everyone is going to be a content creator selling their time in quick videos for a little bit of cash. And that's not the case. We're back to expelled members of Congress being the only one among C-list Giants players, probably Patriots quarterbacks after Tom Brady, but yeah, we're, they represent, it's a good business, raised too much money, and now it's right-sizing and finding its way thanks to George Santos. So thank you, George. Amen, and let's leave it at that. Ron Roy, great speaking with you as always. Thanks for being here. Good to see you, man. Good to see you too. All right, everybody, thank you for listening. Um, we'll be back on Wednesday with an interview with Intel CEO Pat Gelsinger about how the chip manufacturer is attempting to ride the AI wave. Um, it's, I'm about to record. I'm stoked for it. It's going to be a fun interview. So make sure to tune in uh, next Wednesday. And then uh, we'll be back here next Friday talking about the week's news. So thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on Big Technology Podcast. Big Technology Podcast.